Our scripture reading tonight comes from Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 11. Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 11 says this. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the Apostle Paul and how we can benefit from his teaching, um, how he wrote to the church in Corinth after spending a year and six months teaching them in person every Sabbath in the synagogue. God, we pray that even now you would use what you inspired him to write to the church in Corinth to, to challenge us as your church today, that, Lord God, we would be rebuked for the sin in our lives and see our ever-increasing need for the grace of Jesus Christ upon our lives, and that we would welcome it with open arms to meet us exactly where we are. Your unmerited favor would be upon us. And that, Lord, your peace would also be upon us. Your shalom. That, God, we would find ordered harmony in every fiber of our beings, Lord. That is what we desire. And we know that you are the only one who can give it to us. So, God, would you meet with us now and give us grace and peace from the teaching of your word as we worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, we begin our new sermon series, studying the book of 1 Corinthians, written by the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn in them to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In his former life, the Apostle Paul was a persecutor of the church. He went out of his way to hurt, imprison, and even kill Christians. But the Lord Jesus appeared to him on the road of Damascus, and he was never the same after. 
Paul came face to face with the risen Lord Jesus, and he was never the same. Very soon after that encounter, Paul was saved, baptized, and even taught others about how Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah. And he never stopped. He was later sent out as a missionary to share the truth about Jesus with both Jew and Gentile. And as we read in our scripture reading, he, he spent a quite a lot of time uh, in the city of Corinth. It was a year and six months, in fact. Uh, Corinth uh, sat on a little strip of land between uh, the mainland and a peninsula in what is modern-day Greece. Uh, The city uh, was a place where many cultures and religions came to to mingle. Uh, Paul would later write that many gods, lowercase g, and many lords, lowercase l, found a home in Corinth. It was a wealthy port city that was steeped in pagan idolatry and philosophy. And Paul wrote 1 Corinthians during his third missionary journey abroad, near the end of his three-year ministry in the city of Ephesus. This was not Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. He actually uh, will later in 1 Corinthians reference another letter he sent before this. Uh, You see, he he sent a letter to them uh, that we do not have. We do not know where that is. Uh, And they replied back with a report of what was going on in Corinth. Maybe some concerns they had and some some questions that they wanted answered from Paul. And so what we know to be 1 Corinthians was his reply to that letter. Despite the often stern tone of the letter, Paul was thankful to God for the Corinthians. And his hope for them, as we'll see tonight, was that they would be found guiltless, blameless on the day of judgment when Jesus Christ returns. So that's just a little bit of the context and the setting of of where we're walking into in this beautiful letter we find in our Bibles called 1 Corinthians. So let's read together 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 9 tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9 say this. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift 
as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Lord God, would you teach us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I've entitled tonight's sermon, Wait, I'm a Saint? Wait, I'm, I'm a Saint? That's right. I don't know if you noticed, but he calls the church in Corinth saints. We see that in verses 1 and 2. He says, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. If you know anything about the church in Corinth, you know that they were a particularly sinful bunch. So the sheer fact of him calling them sanctified in saints is a marvelous wonder. Among their problems named in this letter alone are divisions, fornications, doctrinal aberration, sure, some theological misunderstandings, but also some irregular practices in their worship gatherings. And yet Paul calls them sanctified and saints. In other words, holy ones called out ones. It means that they are set apart, holy, designated for God's purpose through the person and work of Jesus Christ. We can find some comfort tonight in the fact that if the church in Corinth could be called saints, then we stand a pretty good chance to be called saints too. That is good news. So tonight I want to give you five indicators of a saint. Five indicators of a saint. The first, saints are united together in Christ Jesus our Lord. Saints are united together in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice what Paul says again in verse 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Here Paul subtly restates the underlying truth taught by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that his followers should be recognizably different in how they love one another under his lordship. Saints are those who have all been made holy by the saving work of Jesus by simply calling on his name. Isn't that what we sang? I'm a child of God because I called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to save me from my sin. 
That's good news. We can look at any professing believer in Jesus Christ and see a spiritual brother or sister. Together, we are the family. We're the flock. We're a building. We're the church. Together, we look to our Heavenly Father. We look to the Good Shepherd. We look to the cornerstone of that building. We look to the Lord of the church, our Master, the one who lays claim over every ounce of our soul, who has every right and authority to tell us what to do with our lives. That's who we follow. And we share in that together. What a tremendous blessing to know that if we have union with Christ, we are also united to all others who have that same union with Christ. Saints are united together in Christ Jesus, our Lord, our Master. How did this come to be? That leads us to our second indicator of a saint. Saints receive grace and peace from our God. Saints receive grace and peace from our God. Notice what Paul prays for the church in Corinth in verse 3. He says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Not one of us worked to achieve a right relationship with God. Not one of us. Every saint has received the grace of God. What is the grace of God? If you're looking for a definition of grace, here it is. If you're taking notes, God's grace is his unmerited favor. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. We couldn't earn it, couldn't deserve it. It is out of the kindness of who he is that he would give us his grace. And Paul prays that the church in Corinth would receive more of what they already have. He rightly prays to God asking for more grace because he is the only one from whom grace can possibly flow. And we are in a world that needs grace right now. His grace, as he defines it. And that's just not in the world, that's just not how it operates. It's very transactional. What can you do for me? Sure, I'll do something nice for you so long as you thank me and make sure everybody else knows that I'm the one that did it. That's not how, that's not how, God, that's not how God does it. Why would we, his people, do that? No, that's his unmerited favor. We should, we should remit, uh, uh, replicate it. He also pay, uh, prays for peace. Uh, now, this isn't just the absence of conflict. And that's important to note because there's some people we avoid because we know if we come around them, there's going to be conflict. And that's not peace when you just avoid somebody that you know you got beef with. 
No. This peace, his use of peace here, echoes the Old Testament concept of shalom. This use of peace carries with it the idea of a person's life with God and everything else, finding ordered harmony, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. That's the peace he's offering up and praying for. It is a prayer that all would be well with the church in Corinth. And we saw through our study, uh, through the book of Ruth last semester, uh, many people praying blessings over others. And I told you that, that that's, that's why I, as we dismiss often out that door, I say, go in the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not something just cool for me to say as we dismiss. That is me praying a prayer over you that God would be so inclined to hear and answer to those who are willing to receive it. That yes, I want grace and peace that comes from God on my life. And so I receive that and echo that prayer. It's exactly what I want. So returning to the idea of God's grace, we see our next indicator of a saint. Third, saints give thanks to our God for his multifaceted grace. Saints give thanks to our God for his multifaceted grace. Look with me again at verses 4 through 7. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech, in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul gave thanks for the church in Corinth, as messed up as they were, and how they had received God's grace and gave evidence of that grace. Paul knew exactly who to thank. It wasn't the church in Corinth. It was God. He doesn't thank the church in Corinth for their efforts. He thanks God for the grace that he showed the church in Corinth and how it bore fruit. Paul gives thanks to God for the grace he has already given the church in Corinth and notice in what, what ways they were enriched. First, he gives us speech. You were enriched in him in all speech. Second, knowledge. It's phrased in such a way you could say you were enriched in him in all knowledge. And then third, spiritual gifts. He says you are not lacking in any gift. Or in other words, you were enriched in him in all gifts. Remember, these are Christians who cannot get their act together. They were all divided, and we'll see why that was next week. They allowed sexual immorality to run rampant in the church. Their understanding of God was increasingly being warped by false teachers. They were misusing their gifts in the worship gathering. They were practicing selfishness and drunkenness in observing the Lord's Supper. Yet Paul gives thanks to how God has so enriched them by his grace. 
Paul gave thanks that he saw the grace of God at work in how the Corinthians spoke, in how they thought, in how they utilized their spiritual gifts. But most of all, he thanks God that those work to confirm the testimony that they had long ago when he was there ministering to them, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Praise be to God for the grace he showed them in revealing himself for exactly who he is. And I need to pause to confess to you that I don't do this enough. If Paul says he gave thanks always for the church in Corinth, as messed up as they are, I come face to face with my own shortcomings. Because I have not thanked God for the grace that he has shown the young adults ministry at Bellevue Baptist Church nearly enough. And at this point, I'm preaching to myself. I've been out of the pulpit a while, can you tell? I cannot be surprised when I see young adults who are short in their speech, shallow in their knowledge, and withholding of their gifts, when I fail to thank God for the grace He has given to those young adults who aren't. Not surprised. Perhaps you are too shy to speak. Perhaps you feel that you don't know enough about God. Perhaps you think you are not gifted. But as we're reflecting on these indicators of what a saint looks like, you're finding that you are indeed a saint. That shouldn't be the case. Those of us who have called upon the name of the Lord Jesus have received grace, and that grace produces fruit in the form of speech and knowledge and spiritual gifts. So, we should be articulate, informed, and service-minded as we wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Which leads us to our fourth indicator. Saints are sustained and found guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Saints are sustained and found guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God, he finishes what he starts. Look again at verses nine, 7 through 9. So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. Jesus Christ is coming back again, and he's coming back again very soon. Paul was convinced that Jesus was coming back soon. In fact, later in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he's got some advice that he's going to give to some single adults. And he even gets some advice to some betrothed, right? Some engaged couples. Like say, I, you know, I don't know if you should or you shouldn't. I mean, it's fine if you do, but Jesus is coming back, so I don't see why you'd get married. And I'm 17 days away. <laughs> I'm going to just kind of push that off about a month and then revisit that text. 
He gives some advice based on the imminent return of Jesus Christ because it impacts the way we live right now. We are in the last days, and we've been in the last days for about 2,000 years now. So we just chalk that up to we know time looks a lot different to our triune God than for us because he's not bound by time the way we are. He doesn't have to think literally the way we do. I don't know if you've heard the new Kanye. I like it. All right? I like it. Thanks, Rodrigo. I appreciate the support. And I've just kind of listened to it, catching the lines where I can. There's a good line that totally relates to this. He says, God's time can't fit on a wrist. Oh, that's, there's just some ways. Kanye can say it in ways that I just can't. So good. Jesus is coming back. And scripture tells us he comes to judge the living and the dead. Paul is banking on God's faithfulness to sustain his saints through to the very end and be able to find them guiltless on the day of Jesus' return. He says something very similar to this in the church uh, of Thessalonica. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's almost identical to what he says there at the beginning of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. If we are to be found guiltless on the last day, it is purely because of the faithfulness of God to finish precisely that which he starts. Saints may stumble in sin, as the church in Corinth obviously did, but as we waver, God does not. He is faithful. Scripture promises us that Jesus will sustain us and find no guilt in us because he has cleansed us by his saving work on the cross and through the grave. The one who comes to judge is the one who has saved us from our sins if we have called upon the Lord Jesus Christ to save us from those sins. That is the best news you could possibly hear in your lifetime. How do you respond to such good news? Simply Believe Jesus is exactly who he says he is and turn from your sin and put your trust in the blood of Jesus Christ to forgive you of that sin. That's how you respond to that good news. You call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he makes his enemies his friends. Romans 5 tells us God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We now have been justified, that is, declared righteous by the blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God that is to come on the day of judgment. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. What does that mean? Although we were once enemies with God, we now have a friend in Jesus. So our fifth indicator of what a saint looks like. Saints experience fellowship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Saints experience fellowship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9. God is faithful. 
by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Saints, experience fellowship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let that just soak in for a second. We claim to have fellowship, unhindered community with the second person of the triune God. What a marvelous blessing. We receive countless blessings in Christ because of how he has called us into right relationship with him. He is in the business of making his enemies his friends, and business is booming. Why? Because that's who he is at his very core. That the very core of who he is is everlasting, steadfast love. You may think, well, with all that's going on in my life, that if Jesus wants to be my friend, he has a strange way of showing it. Maybe you think he's been unkind to you. Maybe you think he's putting you through the ringer. But what if you had a change in perspective? What if you doubt those doubts? What if the sovereign Lord Jesus allows for you to enter into a difficult situation so that you can see that he is the friend that you need? In fact, the best relationships, friendships, are formed in mastering meaningful stress and doing it together. And what is more meaningful than the stress that weighs upon your eternal soul? What does it stand to gain the whole world and lose your soul? Jesus teaches. Who is going to help you carry that weight if not Jesus? See, saints don't just have the pleasure of experiencing fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We know we need it. We're ever dependent upon it. Can somebody testify? The only reason I'm standing up straight right now is because I have fellowship with Jesus. So let's reflect on these indicators of what a saint is. Are they true of you? Are you united with other followers of Jesus? Have you received the grace and peace that only God provides? Do you give thanks for the grace you see displayed around you and to you? Are you trusting Jesus Christ to sustain you and find you guiltless on the day he returns? 
Do you have fellowship with him now as you wait? Perhaps you began the night with the question, wait, I'm a saint? But what you've come to find is, wait, I'm a saint. And indeed you are. If you've called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and these things are true of you, yes, indeed, you are a saint. You don't have to be in the Roman Catholic Church and do all the things they want you to do to be declared a saint. God's word declares you a saint. Praise God. And indeed, not only you're a saint, but we are saints. We are saints. You are a saint among saints, called and made holy for the purposes of God. Which brings us to our main point for the night. If we are called to be saints, we must act like saints. If we are called to be saints, we must act like saints. And it's not enough for us to pretend. I don't mean act in that way. I mean the word act as in take action. So I want to give you five applications in reflecting on these indicators of a saint. How can I apply this to my life? Let's look together. The first, be united to all followers of Jesus. Be united to all followers of Jesus. We may be united to some followers of Christ, But are we united to all, with all, who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus? Jesus told us this world would recognize us by our love, not our squabbles and infightings. Whatever you have against another Christian, you have to put it to rest. You've heard me say this, and I'll continue to say it till the day that I die. There is no stronger bond in the universe than the bond we share in the blood of Jesus Christ. The world has nothing on that. And so we will continue to honor that bond that Jesus declares us to share. We need to act like it. Second, receive grace and peace from our God. Receive grace and peace from our God. We are people who have received grace and peace from our God, and yet most of us live in a constant state of pride and fear, not grace and peace. Pride that declares, I deserve better than this. Fear that says, I can't trust anyone. Instead of grace and appreciating that grace that people bestow to you given to them by God, and peace that only God can give us. Ordered harmony. So I pray with Paul for everyone in this room that grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So would you receive that blessing? Because God wants more for your life than it just being centered around you and clouded by your own doubt. He offers you unmerited favor and shalom. So receive grace and peace from our God. 
Third, give thanks for God's grace in you and others. Give thanks for God's grace in you and others. You aren't too shy. Speak up. If you've experienced the gospel, you know the gospel, which is essential for salvation, so share it. The Holy Spirit has given you gifts, so use them. And thank others who use them in different ways than you. Those of us who have called upon the name of the Lord Jesus have received grace that that, that grace produces fruit. Again, some of those ways are speech, knowledge, spiritual gifts. So let's be articulate. Let's be informed. Let's be service-minded as we wait for Jesus to return. Fourth, cling to Jesus for sustenance. Cling to Jesus for sustenance. Cling to Jesus for the sustenance that he provides us while we look forward to his return. Regardless of if it's tonight, tomorrow, or 2,000 years from now, God's people will be sustained not by their efforts, but by the God's faithfulness. So let us trust that he will finish what he starts so that we may be found guiltless on that day. And then fifth, finally, fellowship with Jesus. Fellowship with Jesus. Spend time with him. Talk to him. Receive the blessings that come from unhindered community with him. See his involvement in your life with a generous heart. Give your friend Jesus the benefit of your doubt. Trust him with your life. And he will carry the burden of your life with you wherever he calls you to go, regardless of what he calls you to do. Why? Because he loves you. We see it riddled throughout this text. He called you. If you're a saint, he called you to be a saint. So let's act like it. He called us. We are his saints. Let's act like it.